0: Wrapping that around your head that you're asking another human being to give you a body part is just, I think, really, really difficult. But once you get past that, then you realize that this is the best course for you.
1: episode one of Donor Diaries. I'm super excited to be interviewing our very first Donor Diaries guest today. You were just listening to Jonna. Jana is one of over 100,000 people in the U.S. on the kidney transplant wait list. Jonna has a disease called polycystic kidney disease, more commonly known as PKD. As the name of the disease implies, when you have PKD, you typically develop cysts on your kidneys, which eventually cause your kidneys to fail. There can be lots of other symptoms as well, but that's definitely the most common symptom. If you can picture a healthy typical kidney, it's about the size of a fist. Polycystic kidneys can grow to be the size of a football and in some cases can weigh up to 30 pounds a piece. PKD is actually one of the most common life-threatening genetic diseases that people have, and it's actually the fourth most common reason that somebody's kidneys fail. About 600,000 Americans have PKD. There are two primary inherited forms of PKD and one non-inherited form. Jana has the most common form of PKD, which she inherited from her dad. Her dad had PKD and had a 50% chance of passing it on to Jana. And now Jonna has a 50% chance of passing it on to her kids. That's just how the disease works. My heart goes out to the families with PKD because oftentimes several family members are plagued with the disease and things like dialysis and transplant are part of everyday conversation for these families. It's a really tough disease. Jonna, thank you so much for being my first guest. I'm really excited to have you here. Can you tell me a little bit about your path up to right now, where you find yourself seeking a kidney transplant?
0: I always knew that there was a chance that I had this disease. Uh, it was a 50-50 chance, uh, but I was in denial for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, five years ago, uh, when we discovered that I was developing high blood pressure, started doing blood work, and sure enough, uh, my doctor came and told me that you know my certain things were elevated. And I knew right then, I was like, I have it. And since then, I've been battling uh, this disease, trying to slow down the progression as much as I could. Unfortunately, I'm at a point now where I'm in stage five, and if I do not have a preemptive uh, kidney transplant from a living donor, I will end up on dialysis, which was something my father was on dialysis for 10 years before he passed away. Wow. And he did really well back in the 1970s when the average life expectancy was only two years. Um, He worked until the day he died, was uh, just a really positive person who did very well on dialysis, but it's not the journey that I want to take. I have no intention of uh, being on dialysis if it's all possible to avoid. So uh, I've been actively pursuing a living donor.
1: So you said your father had it. Did you yeah. have other people in your family that you suspect had it? I know in the 70s, you know, they were just learning, but was there anybody in your family you remember passing young or anything like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I suspect that my grandfather may have had it. He did also pass uh, young at the same age, but when he passed, they didn't do any uh, uh, autopsy, so there was no diagnosis made of what what his passing was, and I was wasn't born yet. So I really don't know for certain.
1: I think a lot of people go into denial when they know that they've got that fifty percent chance, and
0: yeah. Um, oh yeah. yeah, I was in denial for my my entire adult life um, that I, you know, was not hoping that that I would not get this. It was not something that uh, I was uh, prepared for, even though you think you are, you know, because you've seen it in your family. You're still not prepared once you get the diagnosis.
1: No. Okay, so we're backed up five years, and you learned that you have this. What was your kidney function when you found out that you had it?
0: Uh, I was, I believe, at about 38%. Okay. So. But no symptoms? No you? symptoms, other than high blood pressure. So uh, I did really well. And then when the Genarcu came out uh, as a the first treatment in all these years for uh, PKD, I... I immediately went to my physician and my nephrologist and wanted to be placed on it. And I've done really well on it. uh, And I thought I was battling well, but I would say roughly uh, two years ago, I was seeing a decline, a more steady decline of uh, function. And I probably would have pursued this a little bit earlier had it not been for uh, COVID. Mm so I was, uh, was going to actually start in the beginning of 2020, and then we all got quarantined. So my uh, start of looking for the living donor got put off until uh, that last quarter of uh, 2020 when I finally could and wanted to get into the hospital for this.
1: And what symptoms were you feeling by the time you decided it was time to find a donor?
0: <sighs> uh, I- For me, I think I've done really well uh, in spite of it, but fatigue is really the big thing that is my main uh, symptom that I really will complain the most about. Uh, The need to sleep more, the inability to do all the things that I really want to do. I find myself having to sit down a lot and relax or plan my life around how much energy I think I'm going to have mm. for that for those days. Um, other symptoms I have typically um, upset stomach, uh, leg cramps, uh, vomiting, nausea. Otherwise, you know, knock on wood, I've done fairly well comparatively speaking to other people that are uh, you know have PKD. Mm-hmm.
1: That's good to hear. What went through your head in terms of how am I going to find a donor and who am I going to ask?
0: Uh, you know it takes a lot to get to the mindset of ask, of wanting a living donor. I think when you want, want to go on the donor list, it, you're more comfortable with the idea of a cadaver donor. But when you start researching it, you realize that the wait list is really long and that the success rate, or I should say the longevity mm-hmm. of a cadaver donor is so much shorter than a living donor. Wrapping that around your head that you're asking another human being to give you a body part is just, I think, really, really difficult. But once you get past that, then uh, you realize that this is the best course for you. Uh, Once I started uh, getting there, I just went into marketing mode because that's part of my background. I'm like, I can do this, you know, let's get on Facebook and market this. And, you know, taking a couple of uh, uh, seminars on uh, through the transplant village and so forth really helped, you know, getting me in that mindset of doing that. Then actually getting to have somebody doing that for you, then it puts you back to that point of, oh, I'm asking somebody to donate a body part. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so.
1: And you work with billboards, so yeah, <laughs> did you get to have a billboard? up You know,
0: point? Uh, I was getting—I uh, I actually was getting to the point where I was thought about, <laughs> you know, asking my boss to do that. Yep. But <laughs> you know, uh, so far I was getting at least enough uh, traction on uh, the Facebook page, though at least. <laughs>
1: So you did a Facebook page. Now, when you did that, were you also um, on the deceased donor wait list? Yes. So you you pursued two paths. Right. Okay. So if if you didn't find a living donor, you could wait five to seven years and potentially get a deceased donor. Correct. Okay. And with your kidney function being in the 30s, you probably could wait five to seven years. You'd just have to be on dialysis. Right.
0: Yeah. Had it been, yeah. Now I'm at 12, so... It's you know, time. It's time. So
1: you started a Facebook page, mm-hmm. and this was separate from your personal Facebook page. Yeah,
0: it was a, a blog yeah. uh, for, that I guess you can do as a set-up-as-a-business uh, page.
1: So what did you say on it?
0: Uh, well, it, you know, it was, John needs a kidney. Um, and I started off telling, talking about, uh, you know, where this all came from, you know, my history with uh, my father having this and going from... Explaining what PKD was, then explaining what a living donor was, explaining the difference between that and uh, being on the wait list. And uh, just also trying to say that I want to advocate and educate people because a lot of people don't know how many people are on the transplant list for organs in this country. People don't know how many people are on dialysis. People don't have any idea how many people are, are have PKB. So I wanted to not just have this being give me a kidney, but also be advocating for knowledge and getting a message across of th- what the overall need is for this community of people that I belong to now.
1: That's amazing. I know a lot of people turn to their family first when they're looking for a new kidney. Mm-hmm. Did you look to family first or was that something that you've, you felt you know, would be too hard. Um, what were your feelings about approaching family and, and other family members have mm-hmm. PKD? So did that rule out people in your
0: family as well? You know, unfortunately, I am uh, i don't have much family to turn to on this. Um, my sister, who did not have PKD, uh, actually passed um, before I went on the uh, transplant list. She passed her something unrelated. And so she was aware that I had it, she, you know. She wasn't, she's actually older than me, so I don't know if she would have even been a viable uh, candidate. I have uh, cousins who've already, um, one who actually was one of the first people who stepped up to be tested, and then other family members who, for various health reasons, can't. Uh, to be honest, I didn't want my children to do this because the same reason my father did not want me to transplant for him. Because if, uh, you have PKD and you're diagnosed, it becomes a pre existing condition. Yep. So forget getting life insurance and let's be honest, we can't be sure what our health insurance system is gonna be like 10, 20 years from now. So I certainly want did not want my children being part of this at all. And unfortunately my husband uh, is not able to do it either, you know, due to health issues. So yeah, my my field of family you know, it was very, very narrow of who I could ask, unfortunately.
1: So for your kids, just to revisit that, so so they don't know whether or not they have PKD, but there's a 50% chance they do? Mm-hmm. Okay. And the danger of them finding out if they were to step up to donate is mm-hmm. then it's on their record. And, right. And we don't know what will happen
0: with right. that Exactly. Yeah. Wow. And if one has it, one doesn't, I would rather have, uh, you know, one being able to donate to the other. Yeah. You know, 20, 30 years in a if, you know, if we don't have that artificial kidney that I was promised when I was 16. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting in PKD families, there's some families who kind of have it all figured out in advance, like, okay, this person will donate to this person, and this person has the same blood type as this person, and they kind of figure it out in advance, and then, yeah. um, but then this problem arises where people don't mm-hmm. want to be tested to confirm whether exactly. or not they have it. Exactly.
0: It's really exactly. a really tough disease. Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, there's not much right now that they can do. But at some point, they're going to have to find out because they are developing more things for PKD to slow down that progression. Mm-hmm. So, but again, it's a, it's really, I, it's a frustrating uh, situation to be in. I bet.
1: So spoiler alert, (laughs) you had at least one friend who wasn't scared off by this um, idea of donating a kidney. Yes. Even during COVID. Mm -hmm. And we have another guest here today, Mary. Hi, Mary. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing good. Can you tell me a little bit about how you became aware of your friend needing a kidney and how you processed that and what it was like to come to the decision that you wanted to donate a kidney to her?
2: Well, I've known Jana for like 30 years. So, <laughs> known about her dad's health issues and the possibility of her having that illness. And then when she found out, we were just all kind of trying to support her and watch her through this journey. And then discussing it with her, even like a couple of years ago, I think, talking about being a donor and you said to me I really don't want to get a donation from a family or friend and I was wondering if you said that to put me at ease (laughs) I wasn't (laughs) able to do it (laughs) and just kind of left it at that and uh, time continued on and then we wanted to support her with her Facebook page and her blog and keeping up to date with her through COVID. We have a group of friends. We were maintaining constant contact with each other, doing Zoom meetings, as everybody else was, and watching her having a very difficult time, just being on a Zoom call a couple of nights. And it's difficult to see Mm -hmm. someone that you care about going through this. And uh, then we found out that her cousin was stepping forward. And then that didn't come through thinking, well, maybe I can do it. (laughs) So I didn't even know what my blood type was. (laughs) And I had the opportunity to donate blood for the first time in my life to find out what my blood type was. And I called John. I said, hey, I'm positive. I'm
0: positive, too. (laughs) That's what she
2: said. I was like, oh, really? He said, "Well, I'm going to fill out this questionnaire," and I said, "Let's just see where the journey takes us." And
1: and were you like, "No, no, no, you can't do that." You know, I don't.
0: I, I was a little just stunned, you know, that she was even offering. So I was kind of a little speechless. I, I, I don't remember actually that. And I was like, "Wow, thanks." You know?
1: <laughs> do you need that phone number? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Did you? What was it like thinking through the decision? Did. Is it something you knew in your heart that you really wanted to do? Was it something you had to discuss with other people in your life first? Like, what was the actual decision of, I'm going to step forward and see if, I, if I'm if i a match?
2: I honestly didn't give it a lot of thought. I was just, I'm going to do this and see if we can help her. I talked about it with my husband, obviously, mm-hmm. and he's totally behind this. Like I said, we're just going to see where the journey takes us. I. I guess what I'm trying to say is the chances that I thought I would really be able to do this for you, it's mind-blowing. I feel like I've been here the whole time, and now it's come to light that I can do this. It's been very hard watching her go through all this illness and getting progressively worse so i just feel like there's no doubt in my mind that i was going to do this if i was a match and it turned out so i'm excited about it what are
1: you excited about having my friend <laughs>
2: back <laughs> <laughs> having her healthy i told her we're going back to yoga and <laughs> she's all recovering no, you have to go yeah. back to yoga whether you <laughs> want to or not no. <laughs> <laughs> Being Uh, able to see her live her life and not have it revolve around being sick all the time and being able to come out with us and hang out and do things and have her back.
1: So what are you nervous about? Do you have any reservations about this? No
2: reservations. I've never had uh, surgery before, so I'm a little (laughs) nervous about that. But I feel that Northwestern has done a really good job when I went over for the day of testing and the donor handbook they provide and the discussion I had with the doctor to answer all of my questions, finding out more about what it will entail. And for me, knowledge helps me understand things and takes away the nervousness of it. It was great to find out. I'm in really good health. Yes. (laughs) After that very thorough checkout. (laughs) So that's good to know. And I'm only a year younger than her. So I feel like we're a good match. I feel our lifestyles are pretty similar.
1: Except for you're doing more yoga.
2: Yes. (laughs) And I am working out more. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
1: I'm feeling positive about it. What's going to happen between now and the big date for you two?
0: The big date is Monday, June 28th. Right now, I think we're just trying to get as healthy as we can. Uh, You know, get exercise in. We formed a walking group. Nice. So uh, we're doing walks with our friends, you know. I'm definitely way slower than everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to slow down their pace for me. (laughs) (laughs) Not for long. Nope. <laughs> uh, yeah, just right now, you know, trying to just get everything in line to uh, be able to, you know, take the time off and get every, you know, making lists. That's what I do. List making. And trying not to worry about Mary. <laughs> I'm more worried about her than I, at this point than oh. I am about me. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and Mary... Are you anticipating taking a bunch of time off work? Or what's your plan for afterwards?
2: So they said four to six weeks for recovery. So I've obviously spoken with my boss about this. And he's been extremely supportive. Mm, that's great. And he said, it's whatever you need, take it. So I am really not anticipating any difficulty there. And as we said, we're getting in better shape. I've been back at the gym so I don't really think I will be out the full six weeks. I've been hearing a little bit from other donors, and they said that their recovery has been quicker than what they had anticipated. Yeah. So I'm hoping for that. And also maybe looking forward to being off a little
1: bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Summertime. Yeah, yeah, we're in the, the summer. Never hurt anybody. <laughs> and ironically, after the surgery, you're probably going to feel like crap. And you're going to feel like a million bucks. Yeah,
2: that's what we heard. Mm -hmm.
1: Tell me, do you have any advice that, um, we'll start with you, Mary, for a donor going through this process? Now, they think that it might be in their heart to donate, but they're still trying to figure things out. What would your advice to them be?
2: I would say talk to people that have gone through the experience, because that would be a way of easing your mind, letting you know what you're going to be getting into. You have to make that decision for yourself. It is a big deal. And you have to be comfortable and confident in your position and uh, know where you're going to be going. Mm. I've been a patient at Northwestern. All my doctors are there, and I feel confident in their ability Mm -hmm. and learning that they've done normally about 100 of these transplants a year. So that, and they've been doing them for a number of years made my
0: comfort level for me much higher. It's mm-hmm. great advice. What about you, Jonna? Well, first of all, I think anybody dealing with any chronic condition, especially with uh, kidney failure, uh, you need to be an advocate for yourself. That's something that I've really done through this whole journey is, you know, make sure I'm educated on everything that's out there and then advocated. I'm I'm the one that's at Told my doctor that I wanted a living donor and that I was going to go and find a transplant and then, you know, center. I uh, did my research, you know, as uh, to the different transplant centers here in Chicago uh, before I selected Northwestern. And uh, really, there's a lot of resources out there, you know, whether it be the Transplant Village, the Kidney, National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. Uh, reach out to those research uh, resources. Use them because they're available to you. They have programs that will educate you and help you uh, maintain your current state, uh, and they'll put you in touch with people that will also give you more information. Um, making that decision to go for transplant versus going for dialysis. That's something an individual needs to decide. And then also whether to go for the living donor, you know, that's also another big decision you need to make. And you can't do it unless you really educate yourself. Yeah. Those resources are out there. There's people out there that can help you and you just need to reach out and look for them.
1: Jonna and Mary, it was a privilege to hear your story today, especially knowing that you've kept your story somewhat quiet up until recently. I really appreciate your willingness to take this opportunity to be advocates now, even though this part of your journey is it's really just getting started. So thank you. I think you're amazing, and I wish you both a positive transplant and donation experience with no surprises and really fast recoveries. I can't wait to talk to you again on the other side in July. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you,
1: thank you so much. Join us for our next episode where we will meet the infamous Doug Penrod, who is our first Donor Diaries double dipper. You have to tune into episode two to learn what that means. Later this season, we'll dive into the exciting world of transplant chains, meet some people who donated a kidney to a stranger, and we'll learn about donor disincentives. We'll also check in with Jana and Mary to see how their surgeries went and to find out what life is like for them post-transplant and post-kidney donation. Lots of exciting content to come. This is Lori Lee. I'm a living kidney donor and the creator of Donor Diaries with Maitri River Productions, produced by Rob and Jeff Lee. For more information about Donor Diaries, visit DonorDiaries.com. You can follow Jana's story at facebook.com forward slash Jonna Needs a Kidney. That's J-O-H-N-N-A. For more information about PKD, you can visit pkdcure.org. For more information about living kidney donation, visit nkdo.org. And if you like today's podcast, please make sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so that as we drop episodes, you'll see them. And please like and share. Spread the love.